Welcome back to another episode of Cranked and Ranked. Uh, I'm Stephen, uh, old head on the on the YouTubes, and uh, here with Mr. Eddie Sparks. Um, and as as we are usually doing it here, we're going to be uh, jumping into another band's discography and ranking uh, their albums. And if you've seen the title of this episode, you already know. Today, we are going to be jumping into the discography of Faith No More. So today is going to be part one of this, because even though we're only dealing with seven albums here, we are going to be talking about a band that is a favorite of both Eddie and me, one one of our favorite bands. So I have a feeling we're going to get pretty long-winded. So uh, strap in and uh, and get set <laughs> because <laughs> because uh, uh, we're going to talk a lot, I'm sure. So today is going to be uh, number seven through number four, and the next episode will be the top three. So um, uh, anything you want to say before we get started, sir? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to you know kind of add to that, saying you know once again, much like the Ugly Kid Joe episode, this is. You know, the second episode in a row where we've covered some favorite bands of, of both of ours. But this in particular is, is one of my top three. You know, my my top three bands are Metallica, Faith No More and Ugly Kid Joe. And I want it duly noted. I don't hate any records on this list. Like we've said before, um, you know, it, it's not necessarily worst to best as it is least favorite to favorite. Because I feel like you know, worst is 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 doing a disservice to whoever's at the bottom if it's a if it's a good if it's a good discography. So um, yeah, but I do I have some hotter takes. I do have some hotter takes on this one than I do on the previous episode, though. Okay, and that's the thing that's interesting about doing these is because when you when you're trying to rank things, when the majority majority of it are albums that you love, then you really got to start picking things apart and being realistic yeah. about these things. And so that's, that's what makes this interesting. And so um, let's just go ahead and, and dive right into it with uh, number seven. And Eddie, as usual, you, you're taking the lead here. So let's hear your number seven Faith No More album. Okay, so uh, th- my top three was a lot easier than my bottom four. So this episode <laughs> was quite was was quite the uh, was quite the uh, how do I put it? It made me it really made me think about where I was putting everything. And uh, the hardest part for me in all of this was finding out which was going to be three and which was going to be four. But we're at number seven, so I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go with my least favorite of their discography and it's still it's even still a good album. I've gone for album of the year. Wow, okay. Okay, cool. Uh, I've I've gone for I've chose it cuz it's the last of their original run. You can tell on certain tracks that their hearts aren't fully into it. Um regardless, it's still a good album considering it's considered, you know, kind of the point at which the band had kind of checked out a little bit, you know, in varying degrees from member to member. 
Um, but uh, right off the bat, I'll tell you one thing. Roddy Bottom is back. You know, he, he is, he is, you know, he's present on this album in, in contrast to King for a day where, you know, he is there, but not nearly as much as any of the other albums. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go right into the track by track. Uh, we've got collision, uh, considering the previous album lacked keys at some points, he's here right off the bat on this one. Like the riff is really heavy. It's a great way to open the record. Yeah, it is uh, a that is a killer opening track. It's like grabs you from the yeah, beginning. Definitely. And it kind of continues that Faith No More tradition of opening the record with this, you know, punch right in the face. Cause I think, you know, all of their records since Introduce Yourself go bam with everything out of the gate, you know? Uh, except got, except one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, except one. <laughs> except the except the newest one. We'll we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, we will. And this this album's an interesting one because the band are this was obviously the most modern sounding one that they'd done throughout their career. It would make sense. It was nineteen ninety seven, and the production on it is very you know you can tell it's like more of a computer digital kind of affair than their previous records. Uh, which leads me directly into track two with Strip Search. Uh, influenced by the booming trip-hop scene of the 90s, this is one of the most atmospheric songs the band has ever crafted, and in my opinion, also one of the best. You know, those those drum machine parts and like synthesizers on this song add a completely new dimension to their sound. And that... Um, I, I I've never been able to unhear it. You know that those like um st- string parts at the end where it's like dun 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 da da yeah those yeah. like that someone said it sounds like Metal Gear Solid and <laughs> I've never been able to unhear it the um you've been discovered noise but yeah it, good good luck unhearing that now <laughs> yeah also that track it, I. For me, the standout of that track is the bass guitar, the bass line that plays during it. It's real, it's it's pretty funky, but like in a kind of a smooth, kind of busy kind of way. But it's, uh, every time I hear that song, I'm like, man, the bass is so good in this. Oh, for sure. You know, I would argue that, you know, Bill's bass is almost like the heart of the band. Because yeah. the, it, it's, he's holding down not only a rhythmic thing, but you know, playing melodies in there, and it's just—he's a really cool bass player that adds such a unique spin to it. Because, like we said, I think it was the last episode we said, Faith No More are not a funk metal band. You know, the only real element of that is Bill Gould's bass playing. But it's—it's it's very. I've heard it said as well that you know, the heart of Faith No More really as a whole is um, Roddy's keyboards, uh, Borden's drumming, and Bill Gould's bass. You know, yeah. those three those three elements, the um, boom, boom, cat, and boom, boom, cat, like kind of rhythms and stuff in there, which funnily enough aren't as present on this album, and that's why I put it at the bottom of the list, because it feels like the least Faith No More, Faith No More album. You know, okay. they, they kind they kind of shed a lot of um, their original skin on this record, yeah. which you know, ironically brings me to 
probably one of the most Faith No More tracks uh, on this record with Last Cup of Sorrow. It's, it's not a standout track to me, to be honest, but the chorus really opens up and has a really cool 90s grunge vibe meshed with some like cinematic strings and twinkly keyboards in there too. It, uh, it, that song reminds me a little bit like when, uh, when Mike Patton put out that uh, Peeping Tom album. Yes. And, and he yeah. referred to it as his attempt of making radio music or pop music. Yeah. Um, Last Cup of Sorrow reminds me of them kind of trying to craft a, a single. Like if they were going to do a, a radio-friendly song, it almost feels like it's kind of it's got a classic sort of you can just play this on the radio kind of vibe to it. Yeah, it's 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 very accessible considering yeah. some of the other considering some of the other tracks on this record. And you know this is flowing really nicely, which brings me to uh, the before uh, you know kind of ahead of its time track, naked in front of the computer. Yeah. Uh, heavy track. Um, you know, it always welcome here on Cranked and Ranked. You know, nice heavy mm-hmm. groove. You know that uh, down. So fucking good. And you from know, what I from what I read, that song was completely written by Mike Patton. That's a Mike Patton yeah, song. Yeah, that is that is a Patton song. And you know, there's something to be said for you know Patton's writing ability because he has so so many side projects outside of Faith No More that sound nothing like faith no more yeah and he is he's incredibly diverse and you know leads me to believe that he is not actually human he's some kind of (laughs) possessed alien that landed here and made some kick-ass tunes but yeah and then you've got helpless which is kind of this like mellow developing track complete with an acoustic guitar, you know, which isn't something we often get from Faith No More. So, and and it's also one of those grower tracks that, you know, I've grown to appreciate more as time's gone by with more listens. Because I, when I first got into Faith No More, I was a real thing, an Angel Dust guy, and I didn't really care for the direction they went down on on the next few records this was before sol invictus as well so okay um king for a day and um this album were the only two but these two albums really grew on me you know king for a day and um ashes to ashes. Uh, not uh, album of the year yeah I, I always call it ashes to ashes because that's my favorite the, song from this album my, mine too i was about to say yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there but yeah um then you got mouth to mouth, which almost yeah, it gives me kind of almost bungle vibes, almost like Mr. Bungle with that kind yeah. of you know that kind of eastern thing over the top with that cool uh, thing on the keyboard with that really heavy groovy thing going on. And the, then, the, whole, the vibe of that song yeah. kind of reminds me of Be Aggressive. Also, they, they, yeah. they seem like similar songs. Yeah, I I get that. It's got that same kind of um I don't know whether or not swagger would be it would be that be a good way to describe it. It's got that kind of I guess so. Off kilter kind of up tempo but not quite It's kind of an odd Yeah. It has an odd energy to it. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's hard to describe a lot of their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I I've, I've learned. 
Yeah, they they really are. They are just one of those bands that just sounds like them. There are there aren't any bands to my knowledge that sound like Faith No More. You know, they they might have influence and like elements, but there really is something about the five guys in Faith No More that just make this such unique stuff. Yeah. And then, bada bing, bada boom, we end up at Ashes to Ashes, one of the best choruses they ever wrote. It's the whole song is just really well put together, and it's just yeah. perform. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty perfect song. Yeah, I would I would go as far as to say this is this is the best song on the on the album. I'm not, I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then you've got um, "She Loves Me Not," the uh, a lounge song. <laughs> you know, yeah. a genre that Faith No More somehow pulls off, and I I. You know they've they've never limited themselves, but it never ceases to amaze me that the same band that wrote "Surprise, You're Dead" wrote <laughs> "She Loves Me Not." You know, yeah. And again, it's not a standout, but I've grown to appreciate this album as time's gone on. It's kind of aged like a fine wine for me. It was a bit of an acquired taste, but I got there in the end. And yeah, um, yeah. and then the one I feel that is a is a little bit underrated i i've i've heard some people dogging on got that feeling uh which i feel is kind of this like crazy burst of chaotic metal again with that you know almost mr bungle edge to it i feel like patton's Patton's weirdness that's what i was gonna say like it's there's not only with him there's enough odd elements in that song yeah that just to where, like, sometimes I forget about another part of the song because, like, you immediately because because <laughs> yeah. the title has got that feeling, you immediately think of got that feeling. But then you Damn go it, to like, there's bet. like there's two other parts that are very different that it goes into, yeah. and the, the the sort of odd time signature rhythmic part that comes after the I guess the chorus. I don't even know what you would call it, um, but the. Yeah. With all the stops and starts and stuff, and then the the way that they um, bring out those two panned patent vocals in either speaker doing the yeah. little chanting part, it's just like so. Uh, they when they're when they are on, they're really fucking on, and they know how to make these decisions where it's like we already have this song, but we we, we are adding these little tweaks and little pieces of. Either, either, either in the songwriting or in the production, it, it just makes all of the little things kind of stand out in a way that I think if yeah. somebody else had done a song like that, it wouldn't have had the same qualities. It's just so unique. Yeah, like I say, there, re- there really is something about those guys just making the music that they do because they, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And that it's almost like they've got a formula, but they never end up with the same result. <laughs> Yeah, it 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 is it's 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 odd to think that even though you could make a case for especially on this album them kind of feeling like they had to write certain types of songs like oh yeah. oh here's the here's the kind of chaotic rocker here's the lounge song here's the you know but re- really if you take those songs apart you know it, it's still way better than most fucking music out there. <laughs> so it's oh, like, oh, yeah, it's even, even pulling it apart. It's still like, yeah, this is there. It's just them living up to their own high standard that they created themselves. <laughs> That's the problem, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they really have like, they, they evolved. 
they they evolved, but they always kept this like core feeling to the band that's kind of always been there. And I feel like of all the albums, this is the one where it's most absent, but still they've got that they've got that real thinking outside of the box element to them that that still makes it very much a Faith No More album. Yeah. And then and then you get tracks like um Paths of Glory, which I would say is, you know, one of the moodier um tracks which relies on that core element of Faith No More the drums, bass, and keyboard, and with the guitar and vocals providing ornamental qualities around that. And then you get um, the song that Podcast Croissant loves to hate on, uh, Homesick Home. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, this kind of woozy, drowsy, hungover feeling, about to throw up kind of song. (laughs) 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 Like clocks in at just under two minutes and in my opinion it is one of the worst tracks they've done in my opinion because it feels unfinished to me it feels like they had this demo and they needed a 12th track in the running order and they put it at number 11 and it it, it just feels like it feels like a demo that wasn't finished but slapped on the album Regardless. I mean, you, you could make the argument that this album does feel like a collection of, well, here's what we got. Some of it's yeah. great. Some of it's pretty good. Um, it almost, it feels like it, it, it's the least album feeling of all their albums. Like it almost yes. just feels like a collection of tracks that could have been written at different points in the band. And then they just recorded them all at the same time. Um, just cause they obviously sonically have the same sound, but, um, but yeah, it is it 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 does have that quality of you know ha- not fully baked. Not you know not yeah. not all the not all the songs, you know, were cooked as long as they needed to be cooked. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like when you take a pizza out of the oven and like the center hasn't quite got as crusty as the outside. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> that is that's actually a pretty good analogy for this album because it's like yeah. the you the, you could eat the outside part of the pizza and it's pretty fucking good. You get to the middle and you're like, well, it's still pizza, so I think I'm just gonna go ahead and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, album of the year, the pizza <laughs> album out now. <laughs> pizza of the year. <laughs> And then finally we get Pristina. Now, this song I didn't like this song when I first heard it cuz I thought, oh, uh they kind of just play one note <laughs> for most of it, like, you know, open E. Yeah. Open E. <laughs> and it's like and then eventually as I kind of matured as a music listener, I began to think of it less of a song and more of a piece. And now, as I've kind of, I've gotten really into doom recently, uh, you know, the actual metal genre, not the game. I've been playing the game for too long now. And um, I have been loving just these 12 minute opuses of just really sitting back on this slow vibe and just letting it kind of envelop you. Yeah. And And I feel like I didn't give this song nearly enough credit before I really grew to like it. And it and it feels like a nice swan song for their like first phase of their career because this was the last 
song on their last album before they broke up. So it yeah. was this, it was almost like this bittersweet credits rolling. Absolutely. That's kind, what I was going to say. It, fe- it feels like a closing credits song, like a, a song that plays when your heroes are walking off into the sunset and you don't know what's going to happen at that point. You just know the movie is over. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it does have that quality. It's not one of my favorites either, but um, as an album closer, it has a, it has a, a good closing quality to it that, that yeah. I like that part of it, especially once the, the chorus part kind of really kicks in and it opens up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it is, it is a little, I guess, bittersweet is the right word for that. Yeah. And I'd say in closing that I think Faith No More are one of the bands people should look to when it comes to closing your album because they've got some great final tracks totally. on their records. You know, you've got obviously this one, you've got um, Midlight, uh, sorry, Midnight Cowboy leading into Easy, which is the perfect way to end Angel Dust. And then you've got um, Just a Man, which is on King for a Day, which is a magnificent song. But uh, yeah, that's, that is my number seven. As you can tell, we gushed a lot about the worst ones, so this yeah. is going to be a <laughs> this is going to be a hell of an episode. <laughs> yeah. So let's just jump right in then. So my number seven is the the most recent album, the 2015 album Soul Invictus. Ooh. And okay. um, so so for for a little bit of background with me, I got into Faith No More in 19. It had to have been 1990 because I know that the real thing came out in 89, but they didn't release the video for Epic until 1990. And as soon as that fucker came out, I was a fan and have been a fan ever since. And um, so when Soul Invictus was coming out, it was uh, very anticipated for me. Uh, One of my favorite bands finally returning. This was their first album in 18 years. Which is insane. Yeah, and... The first little nugget that you got off of this album made me completely excited because it was the song Motherfucker, which Get not the only... Motherfucker on the phone. Yeah. So not <laughs> only is it an odd song to release as a first single, Mike Patton is not the main vocalist on it. It's Roddy Bottom that yeah. does the vocals on it. And it's such a weird, hard-to-describe song, but it's got this vibe to it that it's just so great. So I, I remember when it came out, when that song came out, all these people were like, this doesn't sound like Faith No More. This is going to suck. And I'm just like, I like that this isn't what I expected. This yeah. is so weird. And at the same time, you're still doing, you're st- along with it, you're always doing the get the motherfucker on the phone. You're always doing phone. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the album came out. And, um, and by, by the way, just for those of you who don't know the history of the band, um, the album that we were just talking about in 1997 has the same lineup as this album, which came out in 2015. So like I said, with the ugly kid Joe episode, it's always very, uh, um, I don't know what the word is. It, 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 it makes you feel better about what you're going to get because the whole band decided to come back on board for whatever it is they were working on. Yeah. So, so that's great. So the, the, really the, the one thing that I would have to say after, you know, I first listened to the whole album was the, the, the feeling that I kept thinking to myself, you know what? I really like this album, 
but I really wanted to love it and I didn't. I just yeah. really liked it. And and cuz it's a very solid album and it's a super respectable return from a band. Um yeah. there I I can't shit on it at all for that. For an 18 year gap, um it's pretty damn good. Um and when I listened to it recently, it really gave me the same sort of feeling. And, and it, for a little while, I, I was thinking to myself, well, I'm putting it at the end of my list because um, I haven't had enough time with it yet. But it's now been five years and I still wish it was better. So um, really, I guess that's why it ends up here. Overall, it just seems a lot less adventurous than all of their other albums. Even Album of the Year had some odd tracks that you had to kind of wrap your head around. This one doesn't, although they do have a good variety of songs. Um, and, and, uh, th- but fewer of them are memorable. Like I'll go and look at the track listing off this album and some of the songs I'll forget what they sounded like because they just yeah. don't have a memorable quality. And the big thing is every single Faith and War album has a different experience. It gives you a different experience of the faith no more thing. This one seems very similar to, it it may not be exactly similar to any particular album, but it almost just feels like it's kind of what you expected. It's not surprising. And every single faith, no more album up until I guess album of the year, it always just filled me with this level of excitement the first time I heard it. And this one didn't. And so, and I know that the dudes are older and it's, it's a different vibe and that's fine. But, um, I just, I guess I just wish that it wasn't so familiar sounding. Like I want to be challenged by their music. Yeah. And it it does kind of, sorry. No, it's okay. I was, I was was just going to say, it does feel very much like they picked up where they left off. Sure. With album of like, the year. I I would yeah, it's, yeah, it seems very closely related. Um and the production itself to me is a little weak, which is which is interesting because not only was it produced by Billy Gould, but it was mixed by Matt Wallace, who did all of their early shit that sounds fucking amazing to me. But overall, yeah. this is an album that the mix of it is very uneven to where you crank it up. And it seems like some things are too loud and other things are not loud enough. Sometimes the guitars are too soft. Sometimes the vocals are too soft. Sometimes it's, it's, but it's, it's real minute things, but it's just one of those things where I never really enjoy listening to it because I can't get comfortable in it. It just, it feels like something wasn't, wasn't completely smoothed out in the mix. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say this here. Um, and uh, I don't think this is an unpopular opinion, but um, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I'm not a John Hudson fan. No. Um, no. I think that his guitar playing has absolutely no character in it. And um, I think they need a better guitar player. I'm sure he's a great dude, but even if you watch them on stage, he has n- nothing going on. He is just a dude that plays the guitar. He could be a, 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 a studio hire that came in and played stuff. So now, now he's perfectly respectable as a guitar player. He can do the shit, but there's something that's not there. There's a, there's a character 
that's not there. It's almost like you have faith no more and then a guitar that's just kind of there to add guitar to the songs. Yeah, I, so, I would I would kind of echo that statement because, you know, you, you went from having Jim Martin, which was, you know, a very recognizable figure in the band, you know. And his was, sound was very recognizable. Yeah, you know, he, he both looked and sounded, you know, metal. He was the metal guy in and the, Faith well, No More. And then for one album, we get Trace Bruance for one yeah. album. And so... And who, which that guy fucking rules too. I don't necessarily think he has as much. That album has as much guitar character as, as um, all the Jim Martin stuff. Um, but yeah, so the John Hudson thing, I don't, I don't know. He, he, he's fine. I just, I just wish it was better. He, I wish he was better. I wish this album was better. Um, but once again, we are talking about an album from one of our favorite bands, and this is still an album that I think is really good. Yeah. And um, like I say a lot, if if this album was somebody's entry point into Faith No More, I'd be like, cool, that's great. Great place to start. Now move move backwards or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So overall, that's why it comes here at number seven, because it's honestly out of all the albums, the one that I have the most to gripe about. Yeah. And I, f- and I feel like for me, it, it did take a lot of repeat listens for things to grow on me, because at points, you know, it does feel like it does feel like it, album of the year part two in some ways although i will say i do think the sound of the record is more organic they do use a lot more live instruments like acoustic guitars and live pianos and things i'd say that's also maybe this is just in my brain and i and i and this is how i'm perceiving it but it seems like a lot of of uh roddy bottoms not uh yeah not no um um the keyboard player. Why am I spacing? That's <laughs> um, Roddy Bottom. Oh, it is Roddy yeah. Bottom. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Billy Gould's a bass player. God, I'm so I'm <laughs> I'm I'm really bad with names normally, and and <laughs> and then even with my favorite bands, I'll sometimes sometimes space on somebody's name. Um, but his uh, his keyboard playing for the most part seems really classic piano sounding heavy on this album. I don't yes. I don't really think I hear a lot of synthesized sort of unnatural sounding sounds it seems like it's a lot of piano on this one yeah i feel like the only one that's got any glaring kind of um i'd say separation anxiety would probably be the standout for something oh yeah yeah you're right you're right there's a lot there's a lot of synth pad work on that one but aside from that yeah i would agree you know most of the album is live piano or you know yeah, it is a very organic sounding album, but I do get being underwhelmed by it. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that, that's 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 my my take on it. So let's move on. Number six. Cool. On the complete flip side of organic, we have the extremely synth heavy. We care a lot from 1985. I, I, was, I was so ready for this to be your your number seven. So I'm glad it's not. <laughs> but yeah, let's, you know, let's jump into it. It does surprise me you'd think that because I have a major 80s bias, but in this particular case, Faith No More doesn't really apply to that kind of ballpark. So to yeah. hear them to hear them doing pretty much a new wave album is kind of an odd listen. So <laughs> so um yeah, the, right off the bat, this album is very very 80s in both its 
well, pretty much from a production standpoint, they were using all of the tricks of the day, you know, that tight gated reverb on the drums. You had very fizzy synth patch choices from Roddy at the time. Um, major post-punk new wave influence dripping off of this disc, you know, and they're still kind of finding their feet here. A lot of people tend to refer to this as kind of a glorified demo because a lot of people consider Introduce Yourself to be the true debut of of Faith No More for some reason. I don't know why. I, that's just kind of some kind of opinion. <laughs> I guess I, I, I guess I understand that, but I also don't agree with that because I think this album oh, yeah. stands on its own. Oh yeah, for sure. I and I would I would agree. And beginning right off of the bat. Um, this is the only place where I would turn around and say, yeah, this is a demo version, is the opening track, you know, the title track, We Care A Lot. Uh, the original version of a, of a great song that was improved much, much better on the next record. But so it's, it's, it, I have to stop you there because this now goes against your rule of bands covering their own songs. Now I must I must preface this. <laughs> I must preface this. I have a problem with bands re-recording their songs like 30 plus years later when okay. they can't when they can't play it as well as they did back in the day. But like in the, I th- I suppose my most hypocritical thing for me would be the White Snake Here I Go Again re-recording being my preferred version of that song because I feel like it's just got more balls, you know? I mean, sometimes there are improvements in, in, in songs, but I would I would agree that the We Care A Lot version on Introduce Yourself is much better. It's a little bit faster. Um, I feel like there's a lot more energy to it. It feels like more of a peppy kind of song, whereas on whereas on uh, We Care A Lot, it... it, it it's it's weird. It, it seems a bit plodding. Like it doesn't quite yeah. connect. And like you know the 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 lyrics are a little bit different, and they they don't quite fit as well. And yeah, it, it's okay, but it does lack the punch of the later version from Introduce Yourself. And then you get you finish that one up, and then you get track two, which is called. Um, a lesson in how to overuse reverse reverb. <laughs> <laughs> now, this, this song's called The Jungle, and it basically begins with Chuck Mosley yelling uh, into a reverse reverb, and it's like, it's, it's, I, I, I haven't even mentioned, you know, Chuck Mosley is the singer on this album, and he has yeah. a completely different vibe to Mike Patton, you know, he, that, you know, the faith no more with Chuck and the faith no more with Patton might as well be two different bands because the, the band with Chuck was very, was still very punky and new wave kind of with, uh, with a real kind of punk edge to it because Chuck, Chuck knew he was no Patton and he had pretty much one setting and that was Chuck mode because he, yeah. he he doesn't sound like anyone else. And initially, I thought uh, this this guy kind of this guy kind of sucks. But then I realized as time went on, actually no, he's got his own character, and there's something beautiful in that because mm-hmm. he really didn't give a flying fuck. <laughs> you know, he just wanted 
he just wanted to simply make stuff with the band and um he was just such a he was such a character and he had his way of doing it and he he, i i'd say a big eye-opener to into his character is the episode of podcast croissant where they interview a guy called doug esper he was a he toured with chuck and he was one of his like best friends they met up in like 90s the mid 90s or something and they had a great relationship all the way up until all the way up until he passed away tragically but um yeah rip chuck uh but this this album it's not as good as the other chuck album so i'm gonna kind of lay into this one okay um again it's a faith no more album so obviously i like it um but you get to track three, you've got Mark Bowen. You know, it's a cool song that really opens up and allows Mosley's unique vocals to yell atop it. And it certainly is a vibe unto itself, this album, because it, it you know it's Faith No More, but it feels so 80s that it's almost weird to think of that. Because when I think of Faith No More, I think, I think 90s. I get yeah. 90s vibes from Faith No More. Even this, on is intro- le- this is legit right in the center of the 80s, 1985 with this one, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And, and, e- and even on 1987, in, in, even in Introduce Yourself, I get those 90s vibes. I don't get 90s vibes from this album one bit because, you know, it's like, like you say. I do feel like the, the Chuck Mosley thing with this band, on this particular album, it, it works to me it works really well because i feel like at this particular time all of these individuals in faith no more were all like chaotic individuals yes they they all kind of had this weird didn't quite fit together but because of that they absolutely fit together and yeah. and it was sort of a but I feel like as the band moved on, even on Introduce Yourself, and then definitely once they leaped over to doing stuff for the real thing, the rest of the band seems like they learned how to control the chaos, yeah. where I feel like Chuck Mosley was a guy where he his shit was never going to be controlled. Yeah. I feel like he's just a dude that was going to be him and may have even gotten weirder down the line to where it would have been maybe some completely unlistenable stuff. (laughs) You don't know. (laughs) So I feel like that's why it it worked in the beginning and then it didn't because I feel like they were the kind of guys that were really trying to rein it in and he was a dude that couldn't be reined in. So, Yeah, I think I remember seeing uh, reading a story in um, Small Victories, the Faith No More um, biography. Um, And there's a, there's a, story about how jim broke his hand punching chuck in the face because they had a fight (laughs) and they had to like i think he had to play like a gig with a broken hand because he just fucking nailed chuck right in the face but i um, can see that (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah talking about jim which brings us to track four we get this pretty little classical guitar interlude which you know on any other album I i suppose like pretty Pretty acoustic interludes are big on kind of 80s metal albums just to show off like, hey, we can play this too. Yeah. But um, yeah, this one on here starts humorously with uh, Chuck and Jim exchanging some stern words at the start. You can hear (laughs) you can hear them. You can hear them in the background going, don't blow it, Jim. 
know what? I'll blow it all fucking night. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> and then and then just plays this really peaceful thing. And um, I'd say if it comes to highlights on this record, for me, why do you bother? Is is one of them. I yeah. love that really dark piano and synth thing the vibe really really does work on this song and um again going against my initial claim about not liking um re-recordings if if it improves on the quality which is rare i would have liked to have seen a more updated version of this but then again i feel like they nailed it on this record so like i say um Roddy's keys are really what makes this song. The atmosphere that he creates is is something else. Um, I will say, if there's one main criticism I have about this record as a whole, it feels like Mike Borden found his Mike Borden beat and played that beat on every song. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yeah. you know, he kind of found like... And he would develop it as time would go on, and then he's a very recognizable drummer, but on here, it's very much a case of, um, yeah, I'm not going to play like any traditional fucking rock beat. I'm just going to tom, tom, snare, tom, tom, snare, tom, tom, snare, tom, yeah, tom, it's snare. Al- it's almost like a lot of times he's like, you know what? Everyone likes using those symbol things. I, I, I ain't going to use none of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like the only symbol he does use is his left foot for the hi-hat. And that's yeah. about it with the occasional bash of the crash. But that's that's about it. Um, again, you know, using that beat again is greed with this yeah. like f- fun eighties syncopation thing going on. And then in pills for breakfast, you get it again, but slowed down uh, with, with my, one of my favorite faith, no more riffs actually, um, is pills for breakfast that like, you know, they really let Jim, mm-hmm take the reins on that one it's one of the most it's up until well up until the next album pretty much it's the (laughs) chuggiest thing they 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 had and i think it's a really cool two minute instrumental and then you get to what i would consider probably like their finest work on the album with um as the worm turns you know this this song here it's my favorite track on the record. They, it, it aged really well and it played, mm-hmm. a, they played it a lot in the pattern era as well, you know, and even the re-recording that they did with pattern, you know, again, I actually like when faith no more re-records it in a different era because they'll bring, it's almost like another band covering the song rather than the band re-recording their own stuff because they're yeah. in a very different headspace at that point. Um, most notably with um, Roddy's like um, record scratch samples, which sound exactly like the year of 1992. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, you know, as the worm turns favorite track on the record, love it. Then you get Arabian disco, you know, that lovely eighties synth going on. Love that. I'd, I'd say, in my opinion, this album has the weakest ending track of any Faith No More album. I feel like this this song, New Beginnings, kind of fizzles out a little bit. Yeah. It, it doesn't jump out to me much. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an underwhelming album closer. I don't hate it, but it's not my favorite. And uh, 
that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> all right. I mean, I, I have some things to say about that album, but uh, we will get to that later because that cool. is not my number six album. Oh. Um, my number six album is uh, Album of the Year hey. from 1997. So we, we already talked about this one, so I'll, I'll be kind of quick here. Um, so this one was the last one before the hiatus. And um, just... just we we've kind of spoke about this the the it's an album that took a bit of time to grow on me when i first bought the album so this is the one that that follows king for a day fool for a lifetime which is an album that i love and so um i was you know at this point uh you know still a faith no more fanatic i was very much into whatever they were doing and so this was a big deal when this album came out and when it I, I believe when it was first released in 97, there, there, nobody knew that there was kind of a, of a, a bowing out kind of progress happening with the band. Um, yeah. because they, they, I mean, obviously they did a tour for this album, but, um, so when you first, when you first heard it, you didn't have that context behind it. Um, yeah. Now listening to the album, you can hear that. Oh, okay. It sounds like they weren't all one hundred percent into this, um, and it, it sounds like a, an album from a band that that needs to take a little break. <laughs> and so, <Yeah. laughs> uh, but while while still being really good, it's one of those albums that I, the more you listen to it, the the really great tracks kind of reveal themselves to you. The more that you listen to it, and um, so that's that's the biggest gripe with this one is that the things that I love are track related as opposed to as an album as a whole. Um, I, I mentioned this earlier that that every album prior to this, since I discovered them with The Real Thing, had been an album that get, gave me a different experience, but on top of that, it immediately excited me and challenged me, and it was, it was you know, exhilarating listening to it. Whereas Album of the Year was more like, a, okay, I, I mean, I, I like this, I like these guys, these songs are good, okay, it, it's, a, it's a good album. Yeah. Um, but the there's a there's a feeling of urgency that's missing uh, from this album. Um, overall, like I said, there are standout tracks. We talked about ashes to ashes, which is one of my favorite faith no more songs. Um, and, uh, but yeah, overall, like, like it just, it, it does uh, with hindsight feel like an album that um, was kind of like that. This is all the gas that was left in the tank. And, it, yeah. and it, it wasn't enough to really get them across the finish line quickly. It was more of a limping across the finish line once, <laughs> once they finished the album. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's got a lot of good shit on it. But it, you know, listening to it among other Faith No More stuff really, it, it's it's a uh, it's it's inconsistencies and it's it's uh it's ugly parts really start to kind of show through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, well, we we I, we can move on because we already talked about this one. But yeah, my number six album of the year. Cool. Okay, so for my number five, I've gone with 2015's Sol Invictus. All right. 
Now, like you said, uh, I mean, we've already kind of covered this one, so I've, I've got a few track-by-track track things, but I'll try to keep it uh, succinct. So uh, it's a comeback album and a pretty darn good one, you know? A lot of, you know, lesser bands would kill to have an album with such good songs, but, you know, my main gripe is that it sounds very much like the band picked up where they left off, and it's... It's almost like the least surprising album in their catalogue. It, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, aside from all of the live instruments, it does feel like an album of the year part two. Uh, but it does, it does have a lot more enthusiasm, I feel, than album of the year. And yeah. like you say, with that kind of context, um, you know, I will say the one thing that did catch me off guard Sol Invictus, the opening track, in stark contrast to previous albums, you know, this opens the album on a more mysterious note to the more energetic album openers they'd opted for since Introduce Yourself, you know. It's a cool, moody track, and, you know, that peace ain't coming my way. I love that. You know, I love this different take they did on opening the record, yeah. and... In my opinion, it's a really strong side A and a weaker side B. Yeah. Uh, you know, Superhero is one of my favorite Faith No More songs. I was really impressed when I heard this. You know, it's almost like, okay, they teased us and now they're back. You know, it fucking ace song. Those keyboards over the top of that, like chugging metal, that dun, 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 dun really when it really opens up and has those kind of eastern um kind of scales in there and it's just such a cool cool moody track oh sorry i read the i read the wrong bit it's then again i'm not wrong it's a very moody <laughs> track so well yeah yeah i was gonna say that it's it, especially once you get to the chorus because it does have a it it, it changes up the vibe because the the verses are all very rocking and energetic yeah and then, it, and then it totally opens up and instead of having this this sort of i don't know like a plateau or whatever it's 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 repetitive and it's 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 yeah. interesting that the choice of just having the leader of me like over and over again basically yeah. it's very it's 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 almost like the the song gets kind of stuck for a minute and then breaks out of it again when we go back yeah. into the verse. It's almost like a thrash song and a doom song at the same time because <laughs> yeah. you know it go it goes from like did again and again again I love this song. I I could listen to this song on repeat. Matt, my only gripe about this song is I feel like the the choice at the end to keep the chorus going but then do it in two different keys how they yeah. do it one key and then do it another one because at that point it gets so repetitive i'm like all right that way we we need to fade this fucker out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, at the end of the day it's 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 a chugging metal faith no more song with a dose of Patton's madness sprinkled in there too for good measure. You need the go, 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 go. That's, go. that's the shit. Yeah. I love it when he does that shit. When he yeah. just adds in, like I said before, on these little sprinkles of things happening in different, like if you're in headphones, yeah. on the different sides of the song and it adds like a weird rhythm to it. Like that's yeah. that's like one of the things that's so great about what Mike Patton does is, is he can he can be a crooner 
and just and deliver some real soulful yeah. and passionate vocals. But he can also do a thing where his voice creates a rhythm of its own, like he's fucking Bobby McFerrin or some shit. Like yeah. he, he's just like <laughs> he's like uh, like that. The very what's the I don't remember the name of the song. The last song on California by Mr. Bungle. And he does that oh. thing, yeah, and I'm yeah. always like, <laughs> I was like, that fucking rules. It, but he, it's he such can pull a, off that shit. It's such a gnarly thing too, because it's almost like his voice is another instrument. You know, you've yeah. got you've got singers, and then you've got eccentric fuckers like Mike Patton that will come <laughs> up with shit like that, and it's like. What other singer would think to go like, <laughs> like what? Yeah. It's, it's awesome. A but mad the, genius. That, that is, uh, that's for the Mr. Bungle episode. Yeah. So yeah. Um, where was I? Oh, okay. Here we go. With Sunny Side Up. Um, weirdest track so far, you know, it's harnessing their lounge tendencies, but they managed to provide us with this, Silly yet still pretty fantastically put together track, which adds more depth to an already moody record. And it feels like this kind of, it almost feels like RV. It's very sleazy. It's oh, almost, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of vibe. You know, not, I wouldn't say as extreme out of left field as RV, because RV is pretty fucking out there. But yeah, yeah, sunny side up. Not the only way to fry an egg. <laughs> I just it's got a, f- that song's got a good vibe to it. I really like how it yeah. sounds. And it's that kind of, I feel like they kind of rekindled that like half goofy, half serious vibe that I feel that was absent a little bit on the previous record. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, they have this capacity to write such great music, but they do, they somehow don't take it seriously, but take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> And they're they're not they're not afraid to sprinkle it with a little little bit of a cheeky grin, but yeah. On the flip side, separation anxiety is spooky as fuck. You know, yeah. The, this is probably the most classic sounding Faith No More track since at least King for a Day because it has that it has an almost angel dust vibe with that digga 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 black digga 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 black with all the spooky shit going on around it, and. You know, whether or not that was intentional is up for debate. You know, they very often just find a vibe and sit on it for an album while doing wildly different things with it. But I feel like this really captures like that old school, old school Faith No More feel, you know, especially with that like booga digga digga blacka digga digga booga booga digga black. You know, Borden is back on that full on Tom work on this song. And then you get Cone of Shame, which is also one of my favorites on the album. You get this kind of spaghetti western with a breakdown kind of feel. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's got that... It's just such a cool thing. And to hear Patton's voice in like that kind of like... And it's hold and it's breath. Like to hear him go really low is always cool. Because, you know, the first time... I always like the way that he, he, he... Uh, enunciates the the Adelaide in chalk. chalk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that always gets like a, a grin out of me because yeah. I'm like, yeah, you've gone for a real dramatic vibe on this <laughs> on this delivery, and it you know to see how far Patton has come as a vocalist because when you think on the real thing, he pretty much has one voice 
And that's the, you know, kind of, yeah, 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 kind of thing going on. And then you get Angel Dust, and all of a sudden, that's fucking gone. And it's just another one of his millions of voices that he somehow managed to harness in such a yeah. short space of time. Like, what an insane leap to make. And vocally. so I, I think that we I think we discussed this on the 1989 episode where we were talking about Mike Patton and I was referring to the fact that he his vocal ability reminds me of like a seasoned veteran actor that yes. as they as they get older they just it's they're so comfortable in how fucking good they are that everything is believable and I think that's what Mike Patton has become he's become this guy that he can kind of do whatever he wants and there's a confidence to it that you're, you're, he could explain any bizarre idea he had and, and his fans would all be like, well, yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> of course we're <laughs> with you. Cause you, you kind of trust that he is going to deliver. So that's for sure. Cool. Yeah, definitely. You know, Patton is one of those, is one of those vocalists that if you go up next to in a singing contest, you are fucked because no matter what you pick, he's going to do a great <laughs> job. You know, yeah. he, he, the, the dude can, uh, the dude can croon, scream, growl, rap. The dude can do it all. And his range is insane. You know, I'm not saying that there aren't other people like that, but he's, he is an out there and he's pretty high up on that versatility scale. Sure. For like insanely good. And then we get to side B and that brings us to rise of the fall. Now this is an underrated track in my honest opinion. I actually, I love the feel of this song. They really played with a more acoustic and live instruments on this record. And I feel like this is the song where they really pulled that off. Um, on the flip side, black Friday is one of my least favorite tracks in their catalog. Like, there really is something about that, like one, two, what you going to do that really he, he, rubs me the wrong way. Even, even the way he, even the way he, he pronounces it, it, it almost sounds like maybe he's, it's supposed to be taking the piss or something like that yeah. because it's, cause it's, it, it sounds very like he's, he's being ironic or something, but it doesn't come across very good. Like it's, it yeah. is a bad, it's a bad opening to that song. Cause you just go, who the fuck wrote these lyrics? <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's like, I think that could be like one of the most generic things I've ever heard come out of his mouth. Like, yeah. you know, I, I love Mike Patton and everything he does. Don't get me wrong. But this song is definitely one I could live without easily. You know, this, it feels, and also not a lot happens in the song. Like it's yeah. a song that, that just kind of is there and then it's gone. You know? Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it has that brief, like, you know, kind of, but it never really, like, goes anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's, it, and it had it had potential, you know, and, you know, had it not pissed me off with its lyrics right off the get-go, <laughs> I, I might have been a little fairer to it, but, yeah, for some reason, this song rubs me the wrong way, and it's a, it's a skipper. It's a skipper for me. Um. Again, though, Motherfucker, first song released from the album, yeah. and it's fronted primarily by Roddy, you know? And I want him to do more vocals. Yeah. Like I, even if he just does this kind of style, I don't care. I, I like his delivery. I don't know what it is about it. It's just, it's cool. Yeah, for sure. Like, 
you know, Mike does this great anthemic chorus, you know, the hello, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love cranking that in the car and just yelling it, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, that's definitely a highlight of the album. The, I will hand it to them on this track, though. Like you say, this is nothing like they've ever made before. And that's exactly how Faith No More always operated. They 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 always responded to their previous release with something completely different. Yeah, if the whole album had had that, it had made me react the way that that song did, I would totally yeah. love this album. Because yeah. I was very much like, oh, all right, okay, I was not expecting this, you know. It's because it subverts expectation, you know. Yeah. It's 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 not what you expected, but it's good. And yeah. that's that's the key to what made so many Faith No More albums stand out. And I feel like I'd I'd say half of this album did that for me, but the yeah. other half was forgettable. There's also like a like a, a thing about this particular song too, the the ending of it, once it does that little stop and then it comes in with the other guitar yeah. melody and he's, you know, they're doing the chanting, the get the motherfucker on the phone. He <laughs> almost gives me chills. It's so good. Like the, the song yeah. really like opens up there and I'm just like, oh, this is really cool. And mm. so, yeah, even now that we're talking about it, I'm like, man, I, I love that song. I wish I loved the album as much as I love that song. <laughs> I'd say this song, Cone of Shame, and superhero, for me at least, are like the highlights of the record. Yeah. And then you've got some pretty good ones with Sunny Side Up and um, Separation Anxiety. And I feel like, oh, and um, Sol Invictus as well. But like some of the tracks on Side B, just they lack a certain level of quality that these other tracks possess. And, you know, Matador, I think Matador was the first kind of song from this album that they were playing because they played it live in like 2012, yeah. I think. I remember them teasing it. And it's it's cool. It's got this like menacing yet uplifting kind of feel. But I, I, I couldn't really think of much to say, really, that hasn't already been said. But um, it's one of those songs like I was referring to earlier, where if, when you first say the name, I have to think really hard to remember what it sounds like. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, I remember now. You know, it's, it doesn't it doesn't have a memorable quality that leaps out right away. Exactly, and I will say, here's a track that I've heard some people kind of critique, but I actually quite I actually really like it. From the Dead, you know, it's it's a heartfelt and optimistic ending to a great, mature and you know moody album, and I th and I feel like it kind of pulls you back up from kind of some of these more down gloomy tracks because it's you know major key back from the dead and i think i feel like you know it is it is a little bit on the nose with Meta uh not metallica sorry faith and wars <laughs> <laughs> what fucking band am i talking about um yeah i feel like it you know it is a little bit of an on the nose kind of we're back but i like that you know yeah, it's, 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 it's also a pretty good closer for the album as well. Yeah, you know, I, you know, aside from maybe a couple albums, I can't think of a Faith No More album that doesn't have a strong closer apart from, I think, pretty much We Care A Lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think the rest of them end on a pretty high, high note. But yeah, um, that's pretty much me wrapped up for Sol Invictus for my Sweet. number five. Cool, well then we'll move on to my number five. So now... We've now crossed the border 
into albums that I are I think are fucking amazing and I have very little to gripe about. <laughs> we're in the banger zone, people. We're, we're, we're in the we've banger all, we've zone. We crossed over. So I do like there are yeah. Yeah. I'll get there. So my <laughs> uh, my number 5 is We Care a Lot, the debut album from 1985. Right on. Um and uh which, funny enough, I always thought it was cool that I have an OG uh, vinyl version of it. And on all of the credits, the band's name is listed as Faith, period, no more, period. Yeah. And I, I always thought that was interesting. But um, so this this album, this is so this is a now 35-year-old album. And wow. to me, it still sounds unique as fuck. Like, I... Even it, even around that time in '85, I don't think I know of other music around that time that sounded like this. Like it oh, had sure. ele- it had elements of other things for sure, but it's this weird post punk fuck funk fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's fuck music. No, it's it's uh, a <laughs> post punk funk metal. It's like it, which doesn't make any sense, but makes absolute sense when you listen to it. And um, it's one of those things where these guys, I feel like they were forging an original vision right out of the gate. Like they, and like I said before, I do feel that that comes from the fact that they were, they seemed like very different individuals who were very strange and unique characters who all came together. Finally, you know, with this version of the band, I mean, you can read about, the different people that came in and out of faith no more. Um, but when they solidified this lineup with Chuck Mosley on vocals and everything, I just feel like they were, I, I don't feel like this is a demo. I feel like they were ready to go and they had an idea of what they wanted to do. And as a debut album, it's really good. And the, the one thing that I like about this album as opposed to every other faith no more album is this is the one that I feel has such an emphasis on the groove and the mood. Like those yeah. two things outweigh everything else. There is there is barely a chorus to be found anywhere on this album. It's all, mm. you get into a vibe with a song. And, and on top of that, whatever you think Chuck Mosley is going to do, he's not going to do that. Or, yeah. or even more, even more appropriately, if he does something that you kind of don't like, he will continue to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that it goes so well with the music because it's just, it perfectly fits. He is an oddball. The music they were making was like music for oddballs. And yeah. um, it's just, it's, it's just so much fun to listen to. And I do feel like it's the most keyboard heavy of any album that they've done. Um, oh, but I sure. think that that's, that's part of the charm of it is because, uh, fuck, I don't know. Roddy Bottoms stuff is just so unique and, and, um, we'll, we'll talk about it later on, but when we get to albums where there's not as much of his odd keyboard shit on it, it just feels like something's missing. Um, yeah. So yeah, this album is a blast all the way through for me. Um, and uh, yeah, as a standout, we we talked about as the worm turns that that song is so good. Just even this yeah. version is just it has a quality to it that just like brings you into the song immediately. And I'm gonna give kudos because I'm gonna say it's probably Roddy Bottom that does it because that keyboard part 
It's almost like it could fit in a horror movie, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but or it's it almost reminds me of something like back in the eighties. All of these movies were they had music done by uh, Vangelis. Yeah. Who was? It, it feels like it could have been. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not Vangelis that I'm thinking of. Who's the group? A uh, Tangerine Dream. That's what it is. <laughs> they they were uh, like an like a synthesizer kind of group that did soundtracks for movies and the music was all very moody and a little bit creepy but very synth heavy to the point where a lot of it was just synthesizers and that's it and so this the the keyboard riff i guess you would say on as the worm turns reminds me of that a lot um Mm. and so um really like uh, like uh, as you've heard i like this album a lot i have no gripes about this album at all and if my number four album didn't have a very special place in my heart. Then this one would have been number four oh, wow. um, for me, but my number four, even though it had, we'll get to it. It has qualities that would put it below this album. It has personal and emotional <laughs> attachments that keep it at number four. So that's why uh, number five is we care a lot, which is a fucking killer debut album. Yeah, I totally get that dude. Um, so for me, for my number four, um, Man, we're already num- at number four. We, we've, we're at, a, we've made it over an hour just talking about three, our bottom three albums. <laughs> wow. That is, we, Told we, you. I, we did say, we did say, don't say we, we didn't did. warn you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my number four now, uh, I want to just say this was incredibly hard for me. Um, picking between, I knew what my top, I knew what my top two were going to be. And I knew what my bottom three were going to be, but the, this middle two, the, this, this drove me (laughs) fucking insane. This was honestly like being told, Hey, you have to shoot one of your children. Which one do you pick? (laughs) You know, yeah. it, it was just such a, a tricky thing for me, but, and I will have to, I will have to reserve what I picked above it for the next mm-hmm. episode. Cause I don't want to ruin any, I don't want to ruin any surprises. <laughs> I want to keep the listener on their, on their toes. So I have chosen number four, introduce yourself. Okay, okay, all right. Now, from this record onward, I'm pretty much vibing. I'm straight up vibing throughout, dude. I'm yeah. having a great I'm having a great time. These top <laughs> these top 4, you know, they're varying degrees of perfect in my opinion. <laughs> uh-huh. Um the Mosley era nails it on this one. Uh the better of the two Mosley albums with a much more satisfying production especially. Um and I'm gonna go straight into the track by track. No waste. We're wasting no time on introduce yourself, people. I guess it's um, important to point out since we're getting into these earlier albums that that Matt Wallace was the producer for three albums and four albums in a row. Right? Four, yeah, yeah, four albums in a row. Yeah, because didn't he start off as well with a home studio in his parents' garage? I think so, and, and it's yeah. and it's it's so there, so it's interesting to listen to these albums because not only you're hearing the band grow, but you're hearing him grow as a producer as well oh, on top for, of it. Oh, for sure, he was like a sixth. He was like a sixth member. <laughs> yeah, 
Like he re- he really helped nail what Faith No More would sound like. And um yeah, there's no better example than that than Faster Disco. What a what a way to open this next album. You know, I can imagine being anyone who heard We Care A Lot when it first came out, that album, and then hearing this and thinking, wow, holy shit, you know, this is a this is a step up. And this is the beginning of that trend where the band opens up their album with that burst of energy, you know, all of the instruments at once, barring the um, vocals. Um, it's one hell of an opener too. And it really shows off Mosley's uniqueness and like just willingness to to make weird noises much like Patton would make you know he makes a bunch of like monkey noises on here (laughs) and and you know it's cool he does like a bunch of like tribal chants and things like that you know they're almost like these apache war cries at points because he'll go like "Ah, ah, ah," in the background (laughs) to create these like soundscapes and it's it's really cool, and it's it's one of my favorite Faith No More songs. It's possibly my favorite Mosley era song. Um, then you get the and song, uh, which is somehow dreamy and funky all at once. Yeah, it almost it feels like this cloudy kind of dream kind of thing, and it's almost like he's just reading off a guest list of all of his friends. Yeah. The, the lyrics is, of this song is, uh, the, the lyrics have always made me feel like he just wrote them down as he was thinking of them. And then, yeah. and then just sort of figured out how to fit them into sort of a rhythm that goes with it because they are very like, he's just talking pretty much. Yeah. I will say there's a sincerity that we get from Mosley that I don't think we've ever had from Patton. Because I feel like um, from what I've heard and what I've read with personal stories of people that knew Chuck, Chuck was a very kind of wear his heart on his sleeve kind of guy. He yeah. would he would befriend everyone. He would sleep on anyone's couch. He would, you know, he would immediate, he was fast friends with everyone. He and, you know, he could be a pretty intense cat back in like the 80s. But aside from that, you know, he's... He, he eventually mellowed out and became a, a nice guy to be around from, from what I've heard. He's, he was an eccentric, but uh, from the interview that Podcast Croissant did with that Doug Esper guy, you know, I, I wish I could have been there for some of this shit because yeah. some of the stories are great. I really recommend that. That's, uh, I think it's like the 12th episode, yeah. I think. And it's, and it's, and it's nice in the, in, the his, the, in the history of Faith No More, it, it is nice to know that Later on down the line, they they included Chuck Mosley in I, I think a few shows where he got up and did a couple yeah. songs with them with Mike Patton, and for some reason that just made, makes me happy that because I the fact that he died if he had died and they had just been estranged and yeah it, it had never made a connection with the guys again it, it would be a little bit heartbreaking but the fact that he got to to do it again and I feel like Patton really gave him a lot of respect and I thought that was yeah. cool. So yeah, definitely. They they did um, they did some full shows with him as well, where they just played stuff off the first two albums. Oh, they did. I didn't. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was for the re-release of um, the deluxe edition of We Care a Lot. So oh, when they re- oh, so that was they, recent. That was pretty recent. Yeah, right before yeah, he died. Yeah, that you're talking like 2016, I think. Okay. So yeah. when they when they did a deluxe reissue of that album, they. Uh, had, they had him come on stage and do an entire show. No, pattern, I think okay. Chuck. I think I, I think I remember that now. Okay, yeah. Which I think you know is a 
is a really cool way. You know, it's a it's a swan song for him. You know, I'd have preferred if he was alive. You know, same here. But you know, that's some serious closure. It's also nice when a band doesn't ignore their past. You know, like so many bands do that. And yeah. and I, I don't care. I don't. Care. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, my for some reason, my first thought went to Skid Row. I don't know why, because the because yeah. those dudes are all like, we're going to go out on a tour to 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 celebrate this album that some other singer sang on. And I'm like, that dude clearly wants to come sing with you. Just fucking yeah. brush that shit under the rug and go do a tour. I mean, because it's like once you get, I feel as a 42 year old man. There comes a point where you grow the fuck up and everyone just <laughs> you you realize your own faults, you realize your own mistakes, you apologize for your mistakes, you accept the apology for for other people, especially yeah. when there's a huge fucking part of your life that your life would never be what it was without that. The yeah. fact that you're able to just be like, that's not who we are now, man. I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm not saying yeah. you have to change. <laughs> you don't have to change everything you're doing, but acknowledge it for the people that put you where you are. And yeah. so, you know, the Faith in a More thing is great just because they, they, the Chuck, just bringing Chuck Mosley on board, even though those albums were nowhere near as successful, it's just like, yeah, this is where you started. You, you got yeah. all of this shit because of this where you started. Yeah, that's just, my rant over. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a nice show of respect for someone who you know was you know integral in the early part of the band. You know yeah. their 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 first two albums, and you know I feel like Chuck era Faith No More is a different beast because of the involvement of Chuck and his different approach to writing and things like that. But um, yeah, it's still really good, and it's got that core Faith No More sound. And then um, after Anne's song, holy fuck, we're only on track two. I just realized. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, the the next episode after this one is going to be a real gusher. We're gonna we're probably gonna spend we're probably gonna spend like six hours on just three records. <laughs> <laughs> That's why this is the first part of a four part episode. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next week when we discuss your top three. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do one album per per show. <laughs> but yeah you've got the follow-up track introduce yourself which is this punky and energetic thing i will say i've got a little humorous humorous thing about introduce yourself the song okay. you know that intro- introduce yourself right on my facebook bio says introduce myself right on because the bio <laughs> when, when it asks you to fill in a bio it says introduce yourself and i was like right on <laughs> yeah and it's that's a little that's a little nod to one of my favorite bands but yeah then oh chinese chinese arithmetic yeah this now this is a killer song chinese arithmetic one of the best mosley era faith no more songs that drum beat coupled you know, the drum sound on this is really punchy you know whatever matt was doing with the reverb on this, he made this huge drum sound that while it still has that distinctly 80s feel, it's very punchy. You know, it's very there in the mix. And in an era where you had these like big stadium reverbs with like a three hour long reverb tail on it, 
you had this really tight, really in-your-face kind of production that you don't hear a lot at at the time. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. And, um, yeah, that you've got... Oh, as well, fun thing to note, there is a lyric that Chuck repeats twice on this album. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. He uses a lyric from Chinese arithmetic in R&R. Really? Yeah. I think it's that like it's the like the time that you tried to teach your cousin to fart. That one. If if you look it up, it's in it's in two songs. Oh wow, I never I apparently it was because he just got lazy with lyrics <laughs> like that's literally the story behind it i'll have to go back and check that out i don't know why that never stuck out to me before yeah like it, i didn't notice it either until i you know listened to podcast croissant dissect the songs oh, from okay. the album but yeah it, it's just one of those weird things like you wouldn't notice it on a casual listen unless you were really picking it apart and making notes yeah but yeah apparently he, he he would come to the studio and and write lyrics as he went along, but they were still very sincere. I feel, uh, whereas you know, Patton Patton is kind of like this method actor where he'll immerse himself in a character and kind of get to know that character and then write from an outside kind of perspective, where he'll like you know, here's a white trash guy, here's a guy that's performing you know oral sex on another guy, even though that was Roddy's <laughs> lyrics, but yeah. Um, where was I? Death March. Oh shit! I never wrote anything down for Death March. Uh, great song. Great song. Heavy. It, it kind of like, wake up every night. It's, it, it's very moody. Yeah, and it, it's got that almost kind of doom metal, dun 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 dun, dun dissonant kind of real heavy stop sections, which is cool. Yeah. Um. Then you get the better version of We Care A Lot, which uh, takes the original title track of the previous record and makes it really good instead of just good. Um, <laughs> and then you get this underappreciated gem called R&R. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, what an absolute fucking ripper of a song. And it never gets talked about. And it's this like... There's something to be said as well for the guitar work on this because it's very atmospheric for the kind of thing that Jim Martin would usually play. Yeah. Because he's just doing like octaves, whereas usually he'd be like, with like power chords and stuff. Well, that's the thing that I think I, I really like about his guitar playing because he, and I, I, I remember in the past doing a faith in a war video and and people like to chime in and talk about how some of the guitar stuff wasn't written by jim martin and i'm like you know i don't really fucking care <laughs> it's all about performances yeah. but it's I think, like i think a lot of it was though wasn't it i think that's just a myth but but it's one of those things where he i all even back in the day i would notice that sometimes he would do things that really stuck out and then other yeah. times he knew to do something that just blended in with what was already going on and yeah. and you know i guess when you get to angel dust he wasn't happy that he had to do a lot more blending than he did anything else but um i just think that it's it's he's really underrated in the fact that he just had that a unique style that just lended itself perfectly to really heavy shit really funky shit without playing funk guitar or yeah. real sort of like mellow shit he could pull it all off and um 
Yeah. And, and, and like, since we're talking about R and R and songs like this, the, it's interesting to me that you introduce yourself, like was, you know, by all accounts or all, you know, what, whatever, uh, it was a major label album debut and there is nothing on this album that sounds like a band trying to reach a wide audience. Like they, they are still like, we're going to do whatever odd songs we come up with between the five of us. And so, um, our, and R and R is one of those where it's just, it's so well done, but I agree. It should be talked about more. Yeah, it's it's an underappreciated gem. Unfortunately, it's one of those really good songs that I think the band doesn't like because they've got some kind of like negative attachment to it or something. Uh, you know, again, I know too much about Faith No More, so <laughs> like, I I've always I have a I have an answer for everything on this episode. But the um, apparently there was like some bad shit going on when they when they wrote this, and they all kind of unanimously agreed. Uh, yeah, we're it brings up bad memories or some shit. I don't know the specifics, but Interesting. You know, yeah. And then you get one of my favorites, uh, the crab song. Uh, my, f- <laughs> my favorite version of this song is the rock in Rio 91 version where Patton introduces the song while Jim's doing it. Thing. And he comes on and he's like, this is a sad, sad song. <laughs> sad, sad. Do you know what sad is? Sad is like this. <laughs> and just starts like fake crying on stage before actually going into like the words. Yeah. But, you know, instead of that like um, skit that um, Chuck kind of does at the beginning, like, don't come back. Stay out. And like with all those like weird little ad lib parts. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's really, it's a really interesting song. And then, you know, I know I'm kind of talking about the pattern version here, but they both had different takes on it. And honestly, that rock in Rio 91 version is insane because like there's a part um, on the album where he goes, cry, does that. Patton does this like straight up cry, thing. And I'm like, what? What is going on? Um, but yeah, love this song. Then you get Blood, which I think is the closest thing you get to something from We Care A Lot because it has a really, really mid early to mid 80s synth patch going on like it's very fizzy compared to the more sophisticated kind of synths you get on this album where it's it's it has the most 80s sounding part in it as a song and it's a really cool song though and the and the melodies are really catchy too but the album closer on this one is this ripper spirit and you get like mm-hmm. spirit and excellence, and then dah, 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 dah. It's just such a kick ass. It's such a kick ass song. I fucking love it. And you know, this album as a whole, these top four, you know, they're all perfect albums, in my opinion, for their own reasons. You know, yeah. they. And to be honest, you know, a perfect album for me is still allowed to have flaws because I feel like flaws can give character and make yeah. you love it more. 
there there I don't I, I think every one of my absolute favorite albums of all time I could pick out things that are not perfect about them or could have been done differently but yeah. but eventually you know the albums that you love the most the parts that immediately capture you are 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 always going to be there but as you get to know the album more the other parts just become as important as yes. all the other ones and so and Faith No More, I think, is a is a, a a great example of that because I think that they are one of those bands where even the parts that don't immediately connect with you the first time, as it grows, they become parts that you wouldn't you would never change. So, yeah. and and I think there's a lot of that on Introduce Yourself for sure. Definitely. So all right, so we we on to my number four now. We, yeah, we are on to the last album of this of this episode. Okay, so the last album uh, is not Introduce Yourself. Ooh. Uh, my number four uh, is uh, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime from 1995. And hey. like I said before, um, We Care A Lot may have been above this one, but this one is a very personal album for me. Just because it's it's uh, it it came out when I was a junior in high school, so I was you know sixteen, seventeen, something like that, um, and it came out at a time where popular rock and roll music was getting kind of boring. Um, pop punk had started to really come in. It hadn't blown up to the point of Blink One Eighty Two yet, but Green Day was already in. And a lot of the the music that I was watching on MTV and stuff like that around the time, it was all starting to get kind of boring. Yeah. And and you know there were standouts here and there, but for the most part, I just I, I remember this was also around the time I started playing in my first band, and so like it was a very confusing time for me because there was a lot less that was inspiring me, and in, in yeah. 1995. And then this album came out and pretty much just blew everything else away that was <laughs> that was going on at the time. So I was already a huge fan because they had already won me over with The Real Thing and then completely blew my mind with Angel Dust. So I was absolutely ready for this album. And um, the first thing about this album that... that unfortunately drags it down a little bit is that there's no Jim Martin. Um, yeah. Now it is Trey Spruance from Mr. Bungle, who is an was excellent guitar player and his, his playing on this is great. Like it's not, I can't really fault him for any choices he made. And in this particular album, I'm assuming that I don't, I don't know if he was involved in the writing process or not, or if he just came in, and played the guitar parts that were pre-written. I don't. I don't know that actually. I think he had a few parts that he brought. He brought to the table. Yeah, I'm sure he put his own spin on things. But anyway, it, it's it. There's a when I first listened to it, th- that was a thing that stuck out to me. Is I'm like, oh, it's the the sound is not there for some reason. Yeah. The the guitar sound that I really loved was not there. But that quickly didn't matter anymore because the thing that's so great about King for a Day apart from every other Faith No More album, is that King for a Day is almost like <clears throat> you you took Faith No More and you completely dismantled it 
and then they put all of the pieces out on the on the ground for you to look at. This is the widest variety of songs, but instead of incorporating different elements of these different things into one song, it's almost like they're pulled apart. For the first time, you're hearing a song that's just a full-on kind of metal-sounding song, and then a sort of a funky kind of song, and then a loungy song, and and a, a country song. It's like all yeah. of these elements were just pulled apart, and they just let them live on their own. So it's like getting a glimpse into the things that make Faith No More tick on their own. Um, and mm. so... It, immediately I was like blown away with the fact that an album could feel so cohesive, but at the same time disjointed at times it's it, yeah. it, it, it cause some things really throw you for a loop on this album. And, um, it's, it's, it's got great production, but in this album we get Andy Wallace instead of yeah. Matt Wallace who are not related, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but they went for a different Wallace and uh, Andy Wallace is great because he's one of those guys that you you see his name on albums from back in that time period, and you know the shit's gonna sound pretty fucking good. Okay, and yeah. and this one does. So on top of the, well, let, we'll 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 get to this in a minute. So I think that when it talks to when we talk about me having a connection to this album, it's it's really just what I spoke about, where it was very inspiring. It was an album that came out and really made me look at like, oh, so I don't need to fit into any trend or expectation when it comes to being a music fan. Because a lot yeah. of my friends at this point had jumped off of metal and were moving to punk and and indie. Well, I guess it was it wouldn't really be called indie rock back then, but I think you know that kind of thing. It seemed like everyone was splintering and going different directions, and I was that one holdout that was still like, "Well, that new Slayer album came out. Did anybody hear?" You know, it's like, and and yeah. nobody nobody fucking cared, but I still did. And and the fact that Faith No More put out this album that maintained some of that real heavy metal shit in it, but at the same time just said, "There's all these different sides." Also, it really it was inspiring as a as a songwriter and as a as a, a a guy putting together his first band, I was just like, yeah, I don't have to just pick a pick a side. I I can I can grab from wherever I want that that inspires me. And so the this album, that's why this album sits at number four because it really I hear it and it reminds me of feeling that feeling of oh I, now I want to go write some fucking songs. Like that's what yeah. the album made me feel like. So, but then if I'm going to start picking things apart. We already talked about Jim Martin not being there. Um, uh, having having very little Roddy Bottom keyboard on this album really hurts it, in my opinion. Um, and um, I, well, well, I, I, I don't know where I'm trying to like figure out how to map this out because I'm going to get to a point. <clears throat> so it's got a lot of fucking great song. It is great song after great song after great song. Whatever you expect the next song to be, it's probably not going to be that, but it's going to blow yeah. you away no matter what. Um, you've got Gentle Art of Making Enemies, which is amazing. You've got Cuckoo for Kaka. You've got Digging the Fucking Grave, which is like pretty much a perfect song, in my yeah. opinion. And, and then all of the other little elements that they bring in, like Star AD and, uh, and, and uh, Take This Bottle, songs that you're just like, what? Okay, all right, cool. This is great. Um, 
And it really takes you on this journey where you're surprised at every turn and satisfied at every turn until the last three tracks on the album, which to me, to me, the last three tracks on the album sound like B-sides. Like they, they were just a man, just, I would, I'll include just a man. Although I do think just a man is a really great album closer, but if you take the song on its own, because if you, if you literally leave out the whole last couple minutes of the song where obviously the choir kicks in and it's a very big and beautiful ending, but the song itself, it's all very like, okay, you know, it's, 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 it's cool. And it's, a really good song, but when you're talking about where the album goes, once you pass over the King for a Day song, it then becomes songs that I'm not surprised by. It's it's songs Fair. that sound like something you would have already expected on this particular album. And so um and and the songwriting, especially on on uh What a Day and whatever the other one is, um around that part of the album last to know last to know they're they're it's not great songwriting it's good they're good songs but they're not amazing and so the fact that i feel like the album just overstays its welcome a little bit like really you could get rid of those two and go into just a man and i i would feel it'd be much stronger but this is also talking about even though i'm saying they sound like b-sides they're exceptional fucking b-sides like they're all great songs but it's just this thing where the vibe of the album becomes a little more normal. It, it, yeah. it becomes a little more streamlined at the end. And it's, it's almost like an album that begins, it's, it begins with a bang and it's just bang after bang. And then it ends with kind of a mumble, like, Oh, we have these other songs too, you know, kind of thing. And um, I, f- I feel like it's important to note just really quickly. You say about B sides, there are a shitload of B-sides for this album too. They had like <laughs> they had like 20 plus tracks for this era, you know. It, yeah. All of the B-sides are really cool as well. I got I got to say, I got to say I'm I'm a just a man fan, boy. I mean, and, it's it's one of those songs yeah. that once it once it really kicks in the second half of the song, it's a very powerful song, yeah. but I I, I just I don't know what it is about the about the verses, especially where it doesn't grab me the way that other stuff they they've done did, especially on this album. So yeah. so that's the only reason why I have any kind of gripes, because I'm with you where I think this is a pretty perfect album. And these things that I don't like as much, I don't think at this point I would change them. But when like we're doing when we're picking these albums apart those songs come up and I go, Oh, okay. I feel the album kind of go eh, at that point. And, yeah. um, and so, but yeah, because this album is so important to me on a personal level, um, it, it's, it's number four because it's, uh, as much as I love, we care a lot. King for a day is way more of an important album when it comes to my life. And yeah. so, um, it's great, but I mean, you have to, I feel like it's it's so dumb to keep saying this, but like we're talking about these amazing albums. And so every time I gripe about something, I immediately feel like I'm, I shouldn't be saying these things. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I, I think as well, you know, it's a real gift that, you know, even though, even though you, it's like you say, it's like the album almost outstays its welcome. On the flip side of that, I would say that 
at least if you kind of tune out towards the end, you've still got something new to discover. Because I found, I found years later, you know, because I was kind of the same with the ending half of this album. I've actually come to the conclusion of I would actually take um, What a Day over Digging the Grave. And I would, I actually, I, I prefer that song. And I think you find on this album as well that, you know, it's almost like a Noah's Ark because there's like two of each song, like kind of in a (laughs) way. Yeah, I get that. Because for me, I get a similar vibe from Get Out as I do with Gentle Art. I get a similar vibe from Evidence as I do from Star AD. I get a similar vibe. I get a very similar vibe from cuckoo for caca as ugly Ugly in the the morning morning. yeah yeah yeah, there we go and i feel like so you're making a good point there yeah but i do think the the songwriting strength on those songs even though they seem that they come from the same area is there's there's i don't know like you just just the the album opening with get out like that song is just absolutely perfect yeah and it goes into another perfect song with with ricochet yeah, it's just one of those. It's one of those things where it's just, um, it goes from being a ten out of ten to a nine point nine out of ten. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's, like it just, it's a little bit of a dip with those songs because it's because so, if you if if what a day comes on on its own, I I'm not skipping that song. It's really yeah. good. So it's it's just basically judging these things as as complete albums. I've got a pretty I've got a pretty funny analogy as well for Last to Know. Sorry, just okay. while we're on it, Last to Know feels like a song that was stolen from Core by Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> it does have a similar vibe. <laughs> I I like I when it, when this song came on. And it gets to that riff. I kind of tuned out to what I was listening to. And I was like, hang on. Have I heard this before? And I went over to my iPod and I clicked on it. And I was like, holy shit, this is the midsection of Last to Know. I thought, <laughs> I, I thought this was Stone Temple Pilots for a moment. Because it has that kind of not... I'm hesitant to say do me. Kind of like that early 90s 70s riff revival thing going on yeah and now yeah. that now that you're mentioning that part of the song i'm like that's a cool you you get to hear roddy's keyboards more in that part yeah. um so yeah i don't know it's 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 a it's one of those things where it's a struggle to to figure yeah. out where things go but um i'm sticking with it <laughs> i'm sticking with this being my number 4 <laughs> fair yeah i mean it's hard to argue at this point because you know these top four albums, you can't realistically knock them down to anything other than, at a minimum, they would be an eight. Yeah, you know, these yeah. are these are extremely good albums in quality. Yeah. So, um, and I do I want a, a, a funny like a memory that's always attached to King for a Day. Also, is that um, I uh, around the time this album came out, I got strep throat really bad. Oh wow! And, and I was I I missed school to the point where I actually missed final exams and had to go make them up. I was so sick, and oh, so damn. and what I did that entire time was I laid in my bed and repeatedly listened to this album over and over again because wow. for some reason it was comforting, but at the same time it was 
it was making my brain be very active because I was yeah. trying to 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 get my head around the whole thing. So, um, mind if I ask? Mind if I ask what medium you were listening to it on? Was it a CD uh, or a it tape? Was a, no, it was a CD. By, yeah, by, ni- by 1995, everything was CDs. I got my first CD player in 1992. And so at that point, I was like, I would only buy a cassette if I absolutely couldn't afford to buy a CD and I wanted the album really bad. But no, so, for, the most, for the most part, everything was CDs at this point. But yeah, it was, it was on my, my Sony console CD player. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to it. So cool. yeah, um, so so there we go. There, that's our uh, our that's bottom our four for uh, yeah, that's it for wow. uh, for part one of Faith No More, um, and we will be uh, joining you again next time for our top three Faith No More albums. And as you as you saw here, um, we will talk at great length about them, especially once we get into this <laughs> top three. Um, <laughs> so um, so yeah. So yeah, if, uh, on that note, let's let's just get the fuck out of here, and then uh, um, thank you all for listening, and and feel free to comment what you think about Faith No More in these albums, and please uh, join us next time for the part two of uh, Faith No More. Any any last words before you you sign out? Uh, I I just want to say I I there's one specific album I have in mind that's probably going to account for like three quarters of the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> if if it's the same one, then I, I think I think I'm with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's not give anything away. All right. So, right uh, folks, thank you very much for listening to Cranked and Ranked. Uh, we will see you next time. Take us out, Eddie. Later, dude.